Love you costly. This, this poppy is testimony to that. I'm not talking sort of smoothy Hollywood knight in shining armour love, but real love. Costly love. Go to any war memorial at this time of year and you will see that. You will see the names of every person inscribed there. Testify to that truth. And more than that, the names of the many thousands who are inscribed on people's hearts who have lost folk, who remember loved ones lost in war. They testify to that truth. Love is costly. It costs a person their lives and it costs their family as they lost siblings and children and parents. Love is costly. Love is always costly. Why is love costly? It's costly because it says something or someone matters more to me than myself. To love is to cherish something or someone more than me. To be prepared to put myself out for the sake of that person or that thing. And so we see it particularly on days like today in service and in sacrifice. Usually we're called to sacrifice little for our love. Perhaps a little time to remember birthdays, a little bit of money for a birthday card, to buy flowers, to lose a bit of sleep. Maybe we give money to charity. Maybe we go without a little bit for the sake of others. But sometimes love is costly. It demands far more than that. Sometimes love demands lives, people, hearts that stop beating, people who stop living. And that's what we remember today. We remember that lives have been lost so that we might have freedom in our country. Now I think this is profoundly inspiring and moving, heartwarming. When we think about sacrifice, there's something that's kind of stirred within us. We think of folk who have put down their lives for the sake of future generations. And I wonder whether the reason for that is, is because it's profoundly godlike. It's just the kind of stuff that God does. As you read the Bible, you see a God who loves. You see a God who suffers. A God who serves. And you see a people made in that image. And so I wonder if we're moved by these sacrifices because that's the kind of life that we were made for. That kind of love resonates with who we are. Something deep within us. And we're moved because we know just how far short we fall and we bumble around in our own little lives, in our own little bubbles and we're serving self. And suddenly at this time of year especially we see something of sacrifice and we're moved by that sacrifice. I just wonder if we get a glimpse of the kind of people we were made to be. And I think that sort of those thoughts sit at the heart of our verses for this morning. We're going to think about love and sacrifice and chew over those things on two points. 
from 1 John 4. So if you've lost it, do open it again. It will help me and it will help you an awful lot. And we're going to see a God who loves his people. And we're going to see a people who love because of their God. It's page 1227, 1 John chapter 4. A God who loves his people. This is a passage about love. That's not difficult. Have a look particular verse 10 with me. John writes, This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you see, costly love can change the world. The names of all the fallen remembered today testify to that truth. Their, their sacrifices winning moments of peace in a fractured and broken world. But the cross, the cross, the cross stands above them all. It speaks of sacrifice of God. It speaks of love. A love that will one day put an end to war and to death and to conflict. And one day will usher in a new world order, forever peace. At the very heart of the Christian faith, we see self-sacrifice, the the sacrifice of God, the God who loves his people. And so I take it God sympathises with those who mourn today. Why? Well, because he knows what it means to send a son to war. He knows what it means to lose a son in battle. God's great love is seen in this. He sent his son to die for a world that is hostile towards him. A world that didn't want him to. And it is the greatest act of love in all of history because God gave the best gift at the greatest cost to the least deserving. And you see what the gift does. It's there in verse 10 again. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. He makes atonement Atonement is not a common word in our culture. I think the place I hear it the most, aside from church, is probably when watching football on television. I think it's generally when it's John Moxon actually is commentating. And he, someone makes a mistake, and that person then wins the ball back, and Mossy often says they've made atonement for their error. That is, they've put right the problem that they made. And yet in verse 10, I'm not sure atonement is quite the same. It turns out in verse 10, it's not a problem that we're able to put right and to deal with ourselves. It's something that we need God to do for us. Put simply, it means that Jesus' death wasn't a mistake. Sometimes you hear that, it's such a shame. But at such a young age, it's such a shame. No, it's deliberate. And it wasn't just a display of God's love. Again, sometimes you hear that. It was that, but it actually achieved something. His death did something. And what did it do? It dealt with the problem of sin. It brought us life. You see, we live in a world of war. A world where we want to be the boss. A world where we don't want God. A world where we put ourselves first 
and we don't put the one who made us first. And so how do you reconcile this perfect, loving, holy, utterly just God with people like me and people like you? People who think and who say and who do things that displease God. How do you reconcile the two? They're like two magnets, but the wrong way around. And you push them and you push them and they will never stick. What can you do with that? And so Jesus comes as a sacrifice of atonement. He deals with our sin and he brings us life. He comes and he lives and he dies and he's raised again on Easter Sunday. And so he takes God's anger and justice and judgment against our sin upon himself. And suddenly the magnet can be turned around. And we can be friends with God again. The two can exist together. Atonement has been made. At the heart of the Christian faith we see costly love. A God who loves his people, not because we're lovely, but because of the kind of God he is the best gift at the greatest cost for the least deserving and you might ask the question why why would God bother why why give up so much at such cost I think verses 8 and 9 give us an inkling of it that's verse 7 and 8 dear friends Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We see the God of the Bible is a God of love. More than that, he is love. You find it more explicitly in John's other writings, like John chapter 17 in his Gospel, if you want to read that later. But you see there, at the heart of the universe is a Trinitarian God, a God Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and there's this love in the middle of them, in the midst. Each one loving the other, seeking the glory of the other. From before creation, from the very beginning, God loves. Others-centred love. And so as the Son willingly comes and dies for his people, atones for his people, We get just a glimpse of the kind of God we serve. A God who loves. We see too what it cost. It brought us peace. He knows what it is to send a son to battle. To lose a son in war. And sacrifice moves us, I think, because it's profoundly God-like. It's what we were made for. It's who we're to be. Which leads us to, I guess, the second half. Because of the God that we serve, so we are to be a people who love. We're a people who love because of their God. Again, look down in the passage with me, and you will see it bulges out with challenges. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. Verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You see, because we are loved, so we love. Because at the heart of who God is, we see this. 
this pulsating love between Father, Son and Spirit. So we are to be lovers. We love one another. We're children who show that they remember their Father's love by loving one another. But he does have to tell us. We need to be told to love, don't we? I take it that's who is not yet natural for us. Because we find it hard to do that. Even for Christians, this kind of love takes time. It takes time to unlearn our natural, sinful, human desires and to relearn what it means for God to be in us. To display this family likeness in a world of war, in a world that needs atonement, in a world that needs a saviour. That these bodies need to be transformed and changed. We are being changed, God's spirit living in us. Enabling us to love and to live for him. But it's a daily battle. The penalty for sin has been done away with. But its presence can still be evident. And so he tells us how to love. Jesus already said in John's Gospel that people should be able to look at you and see that you belong to him. John 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. To love in this sense is to freely put others' needs, their interests, before your own, for their good. It's it's sacrificing our lives for them. It's the nitty gritty daily living of being a Christian. I just I found it profoundly challenging as I've prepared this these last few weeks. I realise that I love, but it's just not particularly costly. I put a limit on it. I don't want to be put out that much, thank you. Often we think of love and we think of well, this is the formal stuff. It's serving at church. Do you know, it's going on the rotors. It's doing the junior church. It's setting out the chairs. It's serving tea and coffee. It's providing lists. It's looking after the youth. It's all of those things. It's the formal stuff that needs to happen to make church run. I think that's right. We do need people like that. There are people who are tired and overstretched because they're doing too much. So if you're not stuck in, let me encourage you to get stuck in to love perhaps we miss that it's, it's providing a meal for someone who's hurting going through a rough time at work it's being prepared to alleviate someone's pressure by covering for them in a rotor or something it's being an ear for someone who needs to listen it's washing up for a friend it's giving up our time Aware that we will have less time as a result. It's giving up our money. Being aware that we will have less money as a result. Well just as God sent Jesus when we didn't deserve it or particularly want him. It's someone proactively asking to help somebody where they see a need. And the limits. Because that's our question isn't it? How much do I have to love? When can I stop? When is enough enough? And I think Jesus says there is no limit. 
What does God's love look like? It looks messy. Weeping in Gethsemane is love. Sweating blood is love. Dying on a cross for his people, that is love. And it's not optional then. It's just part and parcel of being a Christian. I find that hugely challenging. Hugely. It's very easy on Remembrance Day to kind of look at them over there somewhere and be inspired and see what they did for us or what they're doing now. And yet it's all slightly at arm's length. And yet this is daily stuff. This is you tomorrow morning. This is all of us who are Christians. And when we say, well, I can't do that, I just can't do that. I've tried it, it doesn't work. Then I say, gaze again at Christ. Look at the cross. Look at his, his love for you. And love not because you feel guilty and you want to try and pay him back. But love because you are loved. Because you have been shown love. And ask him. Ask him to help you. To help you have the grace to love others. He's always willing to answer that prayer and to give you the grace that you need. Maybe your question is, well, it all sounds a bit restrictive. It all sounds a bit dehumanising. That's not what life is about. I want to have fun and I want to go to parties and I want to live and I want to be free. I want to spend my money on what I want to spend it on. I want to spend my time on the things I want to do. And yet I want to say to you, it is what you were created for. Others-centred, sacrificial love is is deeply God-like. It's liberating, it's who you were made to be. Freedom is not doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Freedom is being able to love and to serve the God who made you and his people. Not asking, what can I get out of this? But asking, how can I love? How can I serve? I'd love to ask us, as Magdalen Road Church, what do people know us for? What are we famous for in Oxford, if anything? East Oxford. Wouldn't it be great people to say, do you know, I don't agree with what they believe, but they can certainly love each other. You know, my neighbour, he was really ill, and people were around helping with food and looking after him. They really know how to love each other. Look at how they care. Look at how they forgive. Look at love. Let's look at verse 12 as we finish and think about the outworking of all this. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, see if you can follow this with me. Or at the end of the sermon, you're tired. One of John's big points in his Gospel, and right through his writings, is that God is invisible. We can't see him. We saw it in the evenings in John chapter 1, 1 verse 18, that no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Or later in John's Gospel 6 verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Okay then, John, so how is God made known? 
while John says it's through Jesus. He makes himself known through Jesus. Go to Jesus and know God. Why? Well, because he's seen the Father and he makes the Father known to the world. And yet, look again at verse 12 now. John says to the world, Go to the church and know God. See his love made complete in his people. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Look at us, see that God lives in us. One person said that the church should be the shop window for the world to look in and see God's character. So if the world looks in and sees how we love one another, sees what the gospel looks like, then God's love is made complete. That is, it's brought to its full function when we love other Christians. God doesn't expect us to say, okay, I've received his love, now I'm off. He says, no, I've received his love, now I'm going to go and love other people. That's what it's for. So, three, three ways to look. Three ways to, to see lives laid down for others today, this Remembrance Day. It's right that we look at the sacrifice made and we give thanks Lives lost to bring us peace and freedom for a time. But if I might be so bold, if we just look there, we will miss out. We're sold short. We need to look to the cross. And so we see a God who loves his people. We see a life laid down to bring freedom and peace. And yet it goes on from there as well. Thirdly, we look at one another. We look at the church, the body of Christ. We see love, costly, sacrificial love. A people who love because of their God.